This is day two of our look together through Revelation chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 3 to 6 today. And as we look at these verses, we have the opportunity to meet some new characters, some new people involved in what's happening in these end time events. Let me begin by reading for you those verses, verses 3 to 6. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time that they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. These are the two witnesses, and we're going to talk about them today, who they are and how God is going to use them and what they picture for us in this revelation of John. But before that, let me go back to times. You noticed at the beginning, they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Yesterday, we talked about 42 months. That's the same as 1,260 days. Both of those are three and a half years. If you look at Daniel chapter 9, way back into the Old Testament, Daniel was talking about seven years, and he was talking about three and a half years. And here we have in the middle of this tribulation time, and we're talking about seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls, all of a sudden we have these numbers of days talked about. If you've heard from the book of Revelation and the study of it that there is a seven-year period of tribulation, and that three and a half years... It's split into two periods of three and a half years. These are the verses that that comes from. We wouldn't know that just from the seven bowls and the seven trumpets. Seven is just a sign of perfection. It doesn't say anywhere that those represent certain years or that one thing's going to happen one year and another thing the next. But we do know from these verses that there is a sense of seven years. There's a sense of time in which God is working. And in this time that God is working, he is working through the lives of people. He's working in the lives of people and through the lives of people. Even in these cataclysmic events that are happening, people are being used of God. And here are two witnesses that God is using. He is giving these two witnesses the power to preach the good news before God's final wrath comes upon this earth and all evil is destroyed. They're preaching the good news to let people know you don't have to be caught up in that destruction. Now, as you read about these two witnesses, as we've said many times, understanding the entire Bible is important before you understand the book of Revelation. Because anyone who has read the entire Old Testament, as many people in John's day had, they had a much better familiarity with the Old Testament than we do, would know that this is a familiar picture from Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 says, Then the angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me as though I had been asleep. What do you see now, he asked, and I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each one having seven spouts with wicks, and I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. And then I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? Don't you know, the angel asked. No, my Lord, I replied. And then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength. But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Those verses, Zechariah 4, 1 to 6, are crucial for understanding what's going on here. Because the revelation of what God's going to do began way back with Zechariah. God is foreshadowing what he's going to do. He's giving us truth of what's happening here. In Zechariah, also here in Revelation, you have a lampstand. 
and you have olive oil. Two lampstands, that's a picture of light. That is a picture of our witness in the world. Jesus told us that we are to be a light to the world. He told us in the Sermon on the Mount, don't let your light be hidden. Let it shine so that all can see. Put the light on the lampstand. Here are two witnesses in the midst of these terrible times. They're putting the light on the lampstand at great risk to themselves because nobody wants to hear the message they have in these days. There's the lampstand, the two lampstands, and then there are the two olive trees. And the olive trees and the olive oil that comes from those trees, the oil is a picture in Zerubbabel and also in Zerubbabel's life in Zechariah and also here in Revelation, a picture of God's spirit. That verse that I just read, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That is key to what is happening here. God, through his spirit, is letting these two witnesses voice the good news. Now, these are such terrible days that in order to voice the good news, they are also empowered to protect what they are saying. So they are empowered when some try to kill them to allow fire to come out of their mouths or to bring about plagues upon the earth so that the good news can come out of their mouth. These two witnesses are very familiar with some pictures in the Old Testament. Some believe that Elijah is one of these two witnesses because Elijah had the power to stop the rain when he was a prophet in the Old Testament. Some believe that Moses is the other because plagues were empowered through the ministry of Moses as the children of Israel were allowed to escape from Egypt and those 10 plagues were brought upon Egypt. I don't know that these verses specifically say this, but it is an interesting thought. And what is most interesting to me about that thought is that Jesus met, you might remember, Jesus met with Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's just a thought in some who study the Bible that they were talking about things to come. They were talking about what heaven would be like. They were talking about what Jesus' death would be like and what it would mean. But they were also talking about even this moment and what it meant. There's no proof of this at all in the Bible. It's one of those speculations based on Bible verses, but it is an interesting one. Whoever these two witnesses are, they do come with the same kind of example of Elijah and Moses. They have great courage in a time that nobody wanted to hear what they had to say. And their example to us is this. It is simply this. Keep on witnessing. Keep on telling the good news. Even in the midst of the strongest opposition, even when no one else wants to hear, you keep on witnessing. You keep on telling the good news because you just don't know. You just don't know who might need to hear or how God might want to use your witness. The truth of the matter is this. God wants to use your voice in any and every circumstance. And when you and I realize that he always wants a witness in every circumstance of life, then we're going to allow him to use us in every circumstance. And these circumstances were difficult ones in that day. How difficult? Let me read for you verses 7 to 10. Listen to what happens. Now, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, and language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Now, first, reading these verses, I know the question many people had because it was the number one question in our research team is why is Jerusalem called Sodom and Egypt here? 
talks about the place where their Lord was crucified, a place figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. Sodom, you remember from the Old Testament, was a place of sin, rampant sin. And Lot tried to live there and tried to be blessed there, but realized that his life was just taken down there, taken down to a place of great wickedness. And Egypt was a place of slavery for the Jewish people. And now here is Jerusalem, the holy city, being called, being called Sodom and Egypt. This would have been very difficult to read for Jewish believers. Their holy city had now become a place of sin. But it's an honest verse about what happens in this world. The holiness that we have isn't found in a place. It's found in God's spirit. And even here, this most holy place, this place where Jesus gave his life for us, even this place has turned from him. And why? Because it's been influenced too. You see in these verses that a beast comes up from the abyss. The beast of the abyss is Satan. And Satan will motivate people to do his work, including a person we're going to see later in the book of Revelation who is called also the beast or the Antichrist. In these verses, as we first see the beast at work in a personal way, he's going to try to silence these witnesses by killing them. Now, as this happens, as these witnesses are killed, I want you to remember back to the beginning of these verses. Verse 7, when they had finished their testimony, that verse begins. When they'd finished the work that God had given them to do. When their testimony is finished, then, then and only then, was Satan allowed to work so that they would be killed. God is still in charge. And by the way, God is not finished with the story of these two witnesses. These two witnesses are witnessing so that people have the opportunity to come to know Christ. Someone on our research team asked, I wonder, I always wonder if people will still be able to acknowledge God up until the last moment. I'm hoping so. Of course they will be able to acknowledge God. This is the very reason why the witnesses are witnessing. Now, we see in the book of Revelation that many, that most, turn away. But the witnesses are witnessing so that some can acknowledge God and turn to him. Many do not. In fact, when these witnesses die, these verses tell us that people will have a great party. They will celebrate like it's Christmas by giving each other gifts because they think that silencing the ones who are bringing the good news, the good news of not only God's grace, but also God's judgment, God's change, that somehow that if they silence the witness, it'll stop God's work. It will not. They totally confuse what God's about and what God's doing. That happens in your life too as a follower of Christ sometimes. People confuse your voice and your witness with God's power. They might try to silence you, but they cannot silence his power. Tomorrow, we're going to find out that the death of these two witnesses is certainly not the end of the story. But for today, I want to pray for you and for your sharing of the good news. Lord, I pray for each person listening to this right now, that just personally, you'd help us to see how we can tell the good news to people that are around us. Help us to be unafraid. Help us to, through your spirit, be able to set that fear aside, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. Help the right opportunity to come. And when it comes, help the right words to come. And as those words come out, Lord, use them to change people's lives. Father, give us the opportunity. Give us the courage. And by your spirit, work through us to let people know the good news of your love. Help us to see how we can do that today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <music> 